Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. One of the themes that is always of interest here on Great Commission Conversations is the role of the local church in worldwide missions. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't establish a Bible college or a seminary or denomination or even a mission board. He said, I will build my church. Now, it's not that the Lord won't use these other institutions in various ways to affect the preaching of the gospel around the world, but it's the body of Christ gathered in local assemblies that God has ordained to get the gospel to every creature. We need local churches and local church pastors to work hand-in-hand with cross-cultural missionaries serving in foreign fields. On the program today, we address the relationship between the local church and the foreign field, And to help us sort through this is my guest, Pastor Adam Thompson. Brother Thompson grew up in the home of a Baptist pastor in a small town in western Colorado where he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior at the age of five. After graduating from Oklahoma Baptist College in 1992, he spent 15 years in mission work serving in Argentina from 95 to 2000 and then in Mexico from 2000 to 2009. In those years of foreign service, Brother Thompson was enabled of the Lord to plant four churches and start several Bible institutes. In March of 2009, Pastor Thompson accepted the call to Pastor Capital City Baptist Church a church that was started by his father in 1984. Brother Adam Thompson has tremendous insight into the work of missions and the role of the local church, and I'm confident that you'll find the conversation today to be helpful and informative. So with that introduction, let's get into the conversation. Pastor Thompson, it's not unheard of for a missionary to return to the States to pastor, but I do think that your experience was a bit more unique than most. You went from Oklahoma Baptist College to the field of Argentina, then to Mexico for a number of years, and now to pastoring your home church in Austin, Texas. And I was hoping to begin the conversation here that you could describe briefly for us that that journey from Bible college to the foreign mission field and now to pastoring your uh, home church. Absolutely. When I was a young man, God called me to preach. I think at that point I was convinced that I'd be pastoring. When I went to Bible college, everything at Oklahoma Baptist College and what Dr. Vineyard taught and did surrounded and focused on missions. And God began using that, the missions conferences, the missionaries that came through. And by my senior year, it was very obvious that God was calling me to the mission field. When I graduated, I came back to Austin to work with my father as an assistant, but I made an 18-month commitment knowing that I was uh, going to head to the field. I took several mission trips. One of those was to Argentina. God confirmed that he wanted us there. Uh, We'd spend four and a half years in Argentina. Obviously, when we win, we were convinced we would spend our entire lives in the country. Uh, God blessed the work there, gave us a, a great building location, good people, Bible Institute. But uh, several years in, my daughter needed a serious uh, heart surgery, open heart surgery, and we didn't realize that would that would not normalize. She'd have to have several more surgeries, and through that, God relocated us to Mexico, right in central Mexico, Pachuca. We spent nine of the best years of our lives right there in that country, and it was quite the transition. What most people don't realize, Argentina is not really 
South or Central American is more European in the philosophy and, and the people's response to, to Christ in the gospel. So uh, what God did there in those nine years was phenomenal. Churches were planted, in, and uh, we had no intention once again of ever leaving uh, that country or that city, those works. And then my dad passed away in 2009, and uh, God used that situation to bring us here to Austin, Texas, and uh, to this ministry. So uh, just like anyone else uh, over the, the course of your life, a man devised it this way, but God directed his steps. And we realized through all of that, the fields, the world, your location changes, your calling doesn't change, and God wants us focused on reaching the world no matter where he has us located. Well, you've certainly maintained that um, that global vision, not just as a uh, as a foreign missionary, but as a local church pastor here in the states. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation with you is to address the theme of the relationship between the local church here in the states and the foreign field, be it the the mission field or the missionary. And you've been on both sides of this enterprise. You've been the guy that's that's calling churches to to get meetings, to raise support, and now you're the guy that's receiving those calls on a regular basis. You've been the guy that's supported by the the by local churches, and now you're the the guy that's making the decisions about supporting missionaries. You've been sent and now you're sending. And so I wonder if you could tell me how your experience in foreign missions has helped to inform your stateside pastoral philosophy. When we went to Argentina, we were kids, literally kids. You know, you're just getting started. You have all this, these ideas, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And time reveals uh, church planning is a little more difficult than you expect it to be. But I think uh, what we really learned through these stages is the importance of indigenous church planning. And we had no intention of leaving after four and a half years. But as we went into that work in Mexico, we began to focus on training leaders, uh, teaching the people to give, emphasizing discipleship, because those works really have to become independent indigenous as soon as possible. Thankfully, we were working towards that end when God moved us out of Mexico. So those works stayed very stabilized. But uh, here in, in the States, you know, when we came out, I want to help every missionary our first year here. I said, I'll take every phone call, talk to every missionary that, that wants to come through. We ended up with 50 plus missionaries coming through this first year. And I told our people, we're going to have to change that sister. I'm, I'm going to bankrupt the church. Uh, <laughs> we just want to help everyone as much as we can. But really our focus has been, I want to invest in good investments. And I, I believe we want young men that are focused on planning churches and uh, understand, I, I realize there's so much more involved in missions work, but it, wherever we go, whether that's missions trips, whatever I invest in, we want to plant churches where people are focused on putting in national leadership uh, so that can extend itself long term, no matter if that missionary has to leave or, or not. There are always circumstances. These these countries in Africa, South America are very unstable. You never know when a missionary is going to have to leave health issues. So I think really what we've learned through all that is the importance of helping these men get started. Uh, 
I've, I've over the years told our church the last 10 years, we are going to invest a lot in missionaries getting started, uh, helping them uh, make it. It's a difficult spot to be in. Uh, but I, I want people uh, to invest in that have a church planning philosophy. And that's, that's where we're focusing the majority of our attention. Well, I, I think that we'll get to interact with a bit of that later on in the conversation. Given your experience in uh, foreign missions and now um, as a, a pastoring the, the local church there in Austin, I, I wanted to ask you about balancing those those two uh, fields. But really, sometimes these uh, there's a tension between our our efforts on the foreign field and then the local efforts. And certainly, the Great Commission is is not an either or proposition. It's a both and. We've got to attend to the needs in in our Jerusalem, while we also try to get churches established in the uttermost part of the earth. And I think that Capital City is known for its zeal, not only for foreign missions, giving and going and sending, but also for its local evangelistic zeal, be it a, a, a huge push for vacation Bible school where you're getting the gospel to kids or the visitation ministry, bus ministry, Spanish ministry. Seems like you guys did a some kind of Bible distribution campaign recently there in Austin. So how have you, how do you try to maintain that balance there for Capital City between the resources and the attention and the energy that is, uh, that is allocated toward the missions effort, the foreign missions effort, and still tending to your Jerusalem there in the Austin area? Well, I think um, over the years, regrettably, this was not my philosophy early on in Argentina. God help me in Mexico, uh, understanding our field is still the world. And we understand the Great Commission, both, you said it, both is a key word. That's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. And here's what I want to do. There are great harvest opportunities. When we were in Mexico, uh, the country was so wide open. People were so receptive. And it's just, you get pulled so many different ways because there are opportunities to plant churches in towns and villages, and you're stretching your, your men and your own ministry, trying to reach as many people as possible. But coming back to the States, obviously, people are not that responsive to the gospel, and I don't want that to be a pretext for our church not to be evangelistic. So here's what we're doing. I said, listen, children are still very responsive. We we started Vacation Bible Schools, a, a teen revival during the summer that's always, we've seen dozens, literally scores of young people respond to the gospel. And after that, the Sunday after that, we start an eight-week discipleship program for those brand new teenage converts to help them get plugged into church. But I also, I told our church at the time, listen, the Spanish community is, is, wide open. I remember one of the missions conferences that we held here, one of the first ones here at Capital City Baptist. I was at the altar uh, during an invitation complaining to God about the fact that he had taken me off the mission field. And uh, <laughs> here's what he told me. I'm sitting there at the altar and he said, Adam, you're in Austin. He said, uh, how many Spanish folks are here in Austin, Texas? Wow. I said about 500,000. He said, how many were in Pachuca, the city you left? I said, about 500,000. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit of God said, so what's your problem? What are you griping about? Get busy. 
So we started a Spanish church, and that has been a, a constant source of new contacts. Literally, we're discipling eight to ten new families every single week. I thank God for the great help that I have. I couldn't balance those ministries without great help and a great staff. But I think where we failed is is to notice these doors of opportunity, these windows of opportunity are too small. We even noticed this summer, many vacation Bible schools, camps, and youth conferences will be canceled because of COVID. And we never saw this coming. But over the years, those have provided us incredible opportunities to reach in our community. And I would say the same thing in missions. I want to be in those hot spots for the gospel that Zimbabwe, Uganda, Kenya, the Philippines, most of South America at the moment, Nicaragua, Mexico, and uh, the opportunity to take those trips, to invest in special projects, to support those ministries. I think if, if we see a window of opportunity, I'll give you another example. In the Philippines, so many of those missionaries were reaching out. They were allowed to go into dozens of schools, teach thousands of kids the gospel every single day in those public schools. Right now, that shut down. That may never reopen again. But I want to be there when that opportunity provides itself to jump through that door, invest. And we we leave project money. We help with projects every single month. But I want to be investing that project money in those hot spots and helping those those missionaries and ministries where there's just a great opportunity to get the gospel out. And I've told our people, you know, we, we understand some of these ministries have a limited lifespan, whether that's a bus route. Right now, our men have been pulled out of the jails. They've been pulled out of the nursing homes. Our bus routes have been shut down. But I said, listen, when that window of opportunity is open, let's get involved. And so God's allowed us to spread out our resources. But I really, no matter here across the state or across the ocean, I want to take advantage of that window of opportunity. Well, you made reference there to taking trips to some of these hot spots, as you call them, the investment that Capital City is making in places like the Philippines or Zimbabwe or Paraguay or some of these places that are just wide open to the gospel is not is not only a financial investment but an investment of labors in the in the form of short-term mission trips i i became aware of capital capital cities frequent mission trips because over the last few years i've i've been to some mission fields and it seems at least on a couple of occasions there are groups from capital city that were there just before i was so i know that this is a, something of a priority for the church and has been, and, and maybe things are changing in terms of the capacity to travel and so forth. Hopefully that will open back up. But how do you see, you've been on both sides of this. So you've been, you've been the hosting pastor. No doubt there were, there were church groups that came to assist in your ministry in Mexico for those years that, that you labored there. Now you're the pastor that is that is helping to send individuals and groups on short-term mission trips. Um, how do you see the role of short-term mission trips from the perspective of the missionary and the missionary church, and then the stateside and the sending church? And and I guess one of the things that I that I wanted to ask you about is how can missionaries and pastors make sure that this is mutually beneficial 
Um, it seems time seems like at times it it can be a it can actually be counterproductive for a missionary to take up a lot of his time by entertaining groups. Maybe that it, that can be a distraction to the regular work of the ministry. But by the same token, it can be a great help. So, how, can can you interact with that subject a little bit and how you've developed your philosophy now as a sending agent for these for these groups on short term trips and how that has been informed by hosting uh, such groups while you were on the mission field of of Mexico, for instance. That is a great great topic and question. When we're in Mexico. At that time, Mexico was still open. The, the danger factor wasn't as great. We were hosting about six or seven groups a year at that point. And I am a firm believer in missions trips, important missions trips. It just helps stir that vision. And for those that go, it'll increase their burden for reaching the lost, the love for their missionaries. It'll usually increase their investment in missions. It'll allow people to see firsthand what's going on around the world and it'll provide them the opportunity to help and encourage a missionary. Now, when done properly, obviously, none of those expenses should be passed on to the missionary. And, right. uh, you know, it's a great opportunity to take them needed supplies and even treats for their families. But for me personally, uh, the opportunity to, to see new countries, I love to see what's going on, not just in that community or city, but in the entire country. I want to meet the missionaries. I want to know firsthand what the response is to the gospel there. It increases my my vision. And every trip, you know, we've done leadership conferences in Uganda and evangelistic conferences in, in Zimbabwe and across Europe and the Philippines and, and pastor conferences. You know, each, I would say this when it comes to missions trip, it's got to be the right timing for that missionary and for that church understanding you know, in their calendar, let's not be a problem. You want to take spiritual people. I, I think it's got to be the right group, the right size group. I'll give you an example. We went to Ecuador uh, several years ago in Mexico. We were able to lead two young men to Christ. They're my grandsons in the faith. God called them to Ecuador, and uh, we went over there and and helped them in, in a project, helped several of the churches there, held evangelistic conferences. But I took a group of college kids because we were helping several churches at one time. Um, about half my group could speak Spanish, so that provided each English person with a translator. We passed out tracts and flyers. Each night we're in church. Our young people helped with the junior churches and those kind of events. And I've been to other. When we went to Uganda to do the pastor's conference, I selected three men that would help me and help that pastor and help with a special radio project that he was doing. So I think really making sure it's the right timing for the missionary, you have the right group uh, where it's not going to be a headache or a hassle. I want to, if, if we're working with a building project, I want to take men that know what they're doing and right. not to just fill up space or time or be able to say, hey, we took a missions trip. And I think really connecting, the, the biggest issue is connecting with the right missionary. It is a waste of time for churches to, to go on a missions trip. If you're not with a missionary that uh, is going, that has the ability to host, has the ability to uh, to do an event with that kind of a group, you know, a team effort, and we have been with great, you know, whether that's Matt Johnson or Keith Stensis. Thankfully, Cap City has a lot of good men out of the church that are well-established at this point and know how to host. 
But I think sometimes pastors don't do enough homework in the preliminary, uh, you know, setting up that missions trip, setting up the parameters and the event. And I think it's important for the pastor to go. Too often, team groups are sent or a church group is sent. And I basically got to the point as a missionary where I told the pastor, if you don't come, I won't host the group. I, it's so important for the pastor to be there. It also provides an opportunity to see that that missionaries work and preach for him. Uh, I think the right length of time for a group to be there, too, too many plan, you know, 10 or 12 days. Most Americans can't make it in a foreign country 10 or 12 days, whether that's a change in the diet or just the the circumstance themselves. So I usually recommend, you know, seven or eight days, depending on the group. But uh, I here's why I think it's important for people to take missions trips. There's benefits for the missionaries when done properly and for the group that's going. But there's so much going on around the world that most of us never see, never know about. I'll give you one more example. In December, I was in Nicaragua with a missionary preaching a missions conference and helping him. He was getting ready to buy some land. We wanted to uh, go down and encourage him, take him some money to help him with that project and preach a missions conference. But I had heard of Brother Dayton, didn't know much about him or his ministry, but going to Nicaragua and meeting all these national pastors that were saved and trained under his ministry, literally that man that was there for 35 or 40 years has hundreds of national pastors and tens of thousands of converts. We're talking about active church members. And most, uh, you know, if you if you talk to an American pastor about Nicaragua, they don't know of anything going on, or they'll tell you the missionaries are gone because of recent events and the dangers that are involved, the political upheaval. They would think nothing is going on in Nicaragua. I'll tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. You have all these churches in the capital alone, seven or eight hundred uh, in in attendance in some of these churches. Wow! And firm, strong, solid national leadership. So, although the missionary is gone, the labor of those decades now, the fruit is being seen. So, I think our perspective is limited because we see missionaries coming off the field and what we don't understand. There have been decades of of missionaries working in these countries. And now we're seeing the nationals in place. Some are stronger than others. Obviously, Mexico, the Philippines, Nicaragua, some of these countries have very strong national pastors and leadership. Others have been infiltrated by Pentecostals and and led astray. But I, I think it's important for pastors to travel and see what's going on around the world. There's a lot of great insight there, and and it is true that our eye affects our heart, and there's just no substitute for being boots on the ground and witnessing the work of missions for yourself. You just do not get the same thing from watching a a missionary video or or even a a PowerPoint presentation, uh, seeing it in person. I I would contribute that while, um, while a foreign mission trip Sometimes it demonstrates fruit that you would never have been aware of. It also sometimes tends to peel away a bit of the romance uh, that some people have about foreign missions where they, you know, it, it just seems like it's perpetual soul winning and 
Um, there, there's, you know, <laughs> the guy, the guy in the safari cap cutting his way through the, through the jungle so he can tell, you know, the natives about the gospel. And, and so actually seeing firsthand foreign missions, it sometimes peels away some of those false conceptions that we have. And I think that that's profitable too, to inform, uh, church members of how to pray for missionaries and what missions really looks like. But I appreciate the fact that you you point there that to, to getting the right people to the right places. I'm afraid that that sometimes those that are in favor of, of foreign mission trips maybe look at it as missionary, what, what has been termed missionary tourism. And the idea with behind a, a foreign mission trip is not just to take a vacation in some exotic place. It's to actually be a help and to contribute to something that the Lord is doing through uh, through a foreign missionary, and that has to do with getting the right guys to the right place. And so, if you're going, if you're doing a building, if, if you're doing a building project, you know, taking a bunch of teen- teenagers that have never swung a hammer may not be the right fit. But with that said, there is something for just about any church member to do on a foreign field, yeah. and maybe maybe taking the teens on a vacation Bible school where they can interact with kids and. Be and give the gospel to children. There's something to do, and and that kind of exposure is just invaluable. Well, I wanted to ask you too, Pastor Thompson. You mentioned taking a group of Bible college students on a short-term trip to Ecuador, and that that creates a great segue for for something else that I wanted to talk to you about because that short-term trip that you took those Bible college students on. That turned into a follow-up trip that that was something of a survey trip where you're taking some young men who are called of God to to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. And right now you have several guys that are preparing to deploy to Ecuador simultaneously. So can you describe how that developed from that from that short-term trip to the survey trip um, and and the team effort that now is is materializing to get the gospel to Ecuador? Yes. I Every single year, we take a group of our college students on a missions trip. Our teenagers go every other year. But the purpose of that, once again, is to stir up in them a love for missions and an understanding what missionaries go through. And as you said, I don't ever want this to turn into a form of Christian tourism. Uh, We want to go and be a help and a blessing. And there are benefits. Listen, every single country you go to, there's something you're going to be able to see when we're in Ecuador, on that first trip, we were able to visit Dawei, uh, the man that participated in the massacre of those five missionaries, Nate Saint, and uh, that group of young men that was murdered. It was an unbelievable experience. But while we were there, we were in several different cities helping with several different evangelistic events. And the response was absolutely incredible. But as we traveled around that country, you just saw city after city with absolutely no gospel witness. And God burned my heart. Here's what I do. I I love the mission field, and I would go back in a minute if God allowed that. But everywhere I go, I'll lay on the ground and pray, God, if you want me here, I'd love to be here. And I'll take those young men and pray with them over those countries. I begin to see God working individually in the hearts of four of our young men. Little did I know that Chris, my son, would be one of those that God would call to the to the field of Ecuador. But that's the benefit of taking them, exposing them, letting them see the work, the need, the missionaries. And uh, once again, we were working with two of my uh, 
uh, products from Mexico. So there's just a natural bond and a connection. They traveled with us for 10 days and they just constantly in the devotions and in the preaching brought up that there are so many opportunities for laborers. Let's pray for laborers. And uh, over the course of the next six months, one at a time, these young men had not spoken to each other. One at a time, they approached me, Pastor, I believe God's calling me to the country of Ecuador. I said, let's pray about it. And here's what I believe. We have failed these young men in, in proper training. I don't believe Bible college is proper training. I believe after Bible college, the work of the ministry, thankfully, Spanish church has provided us another opportunity to get these young men involved in preaching and soul winning and discipleship and youth ministry and all these other ministries. Uh, but when they when they confirmed their calling, I began to work individually uh, with them and all four of them were working here at the church, either Spanish church or English church as uh, assistants in the ministry. Two of those young men, Christopher and Mattel, we sent to Ecuador, Chris spent the, the past 10 months helping Diego with the church plant. Mateo did as well. Mateo will probably be there another eight to 12 months. And uh, then they'll be going out to finish raising their support. Jonathan's on the road. And here's, here's what I've told these young men. I don't believe for a minute that a plane trip is magical. It's not going to make right. you a soul winner. It's not going to train you in ministry. And I think that's where we failed. We failed to train these young men properly in areas of ministry. And if they're not a soul winner here, if they don't know how to disciple, connect with people, you know, preach and run ministries. I don't want them having to get that experience on the field all alone without help. And so God really orchestrated that in, in gathering those young men together. I'm excited about the doors that are open for them and they work well together. Each of them have different strengths, uh, but God really used those Diego and Cesar uh, our, our two grandsons in the faith in, in a great way. And I think just the fact we go over, every time we go over, every morning we're praying with those young men and young ladies, what would God have you to do? And if, if there's four out of do a dozen missions trips, I'm thrilled that God's used that one. We've seen oh, others yeah. surrender, uh, but I, I just think those trips are times when God works in a special way. I don't want it to be an emotion. I don't want it to be a temporary feeling. And everyone can get over in a country. You'll, you'll watch those young people get over there and they're, they see the poverty, they see the response, and they weep and they cry. And I'm, I'm not talking about a burden, but I'm talking about it doesn't take long after that to see those that God has officially called. Uh, to go back into those countries. So Ecuador is one of those countries, boy, I believe everyone needs to travel to. It's just an unbelievable, it's virgin territory. It's not like most countries, Mexico and, and Brazil and some of these countries where the gospel's been there for 40 or 50 years. Literally, those men and the, the gospel that's been preached was basically preached to, to the natives there, to the Indians there, and so your, your Ecuadorians in the cities are unreached. It is just unreal to see how little we have done. How sad to think that you have Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and these false religions only been around for a couple hundred years, and you can literally find one of their churches or temples in, in every city, in every corner. Uh, but Baptists, 
Christians who've been around for 2,000 years, uh, we have not made our ways uh, made our way to the uttermost part of the earth yet. Sure. Now you you mentioned uh, pastors going on short term mission trips. Um, I, I'm not. <laughs> I don't. It sounds like you went on a survey trip, not just a short term mission trip, which I think is interesting. And uh, obviously, these things. It's not. There's not a cookie cutter for survey trips necessarily. And it certainly wouldn't always be practical for a pastor to go on a survey trip with a with a young man that's called to a foreign field. Made sense for you. You got four young men that you're personally training, in addition to your command of the language that you spent so many years uh, ministering in. Uh, but then, out of that, to have those two young men have a protracted experience in that foreign field to which they're called. Seems like that's going to be awfully beneficial to their even their fundraising efforts when they get back to the states. They're not going back as novices. They they've they've been initiated in terms of cultural adaptation, and they already had perhaps the the language at their disposal. I'm wondering if if you feel like what what do you what do you feel like should be accomplished on a survey trip, and is there a better way to conduct? a survey trip for a guy that is, is looking at going to a foreign field. Here's what I kind of feel in my heart. Every country I go to, I kind of look at it as a survey trip in the sense of, I want to meet as many missionaries as possible. I want to see the churches. I want to be involved in soul winning. I want to know what the response is. And so when we take people, I want to give them a broader perspective. With these young men, when we came back and, and got it confirmed their calling, we went back, actually took two weeks and traveled. We literally traveled the entire country, went from city to city, tracked down every missionary we could find, talked to every person we could. And because we have them involved in the Spanish church, Chris and Mateo grew up speaking Spanish, but Jake and Jonathan, we've plugged them into the Spanish church and it's forced them to begin learning Spanish. And obviously, that's the advantage I have of, of being able to speak Spanish. Going into these countries, you're not limited by a language barrier. But I, I really think in those survey trips, we have to take advantage of the opportunity of meeting with as many people as we can, as many missionaries as possible, and getting a broad perspective of the reality of whether that's the expense of living there, but the reality of what the response to the gospel is. And uh, in Ecuador, there's such a limited amount of missionaries. It wasn't a hard thing to do. But you see, you see different aggressive approaches, some more passive approaches. You see encouraged missionaries, discouraged missionaries. But I think it's important for these young men to see all of that and understand, you know, even getting started. I've told them, you know, working together, to help each other get started is so vital because those first years of planning a church, it's it's much more difficult than most people imagine. And so that survey trip, meeting with the missionaries, I think one of the key points of getting a, a person on the field is connecting them with the right missionary uh, because when you get over there, you're going to have to figure out the culture you're going to have to get into language school. You're going to have so many obstacles and challenges. If you don't hook up with the right missionary, you're already starting off on the wrong foot and possibly dooming your, you know, your, your future uh, through, through poor training or through a poor help. So that's, 
that's really the purpose of the survey trip for us as we see it, making sure we can connect with the right people and have a really good idea of, of what they're about ready to jump into. When I heard about this developing with this team approach in Ecuador, I was intrigued simply because I can see in church history and, and missions history how uh, teams were used of God to get the gospel to certain places and that the, there are certain advantages related to that. And then, of course, the biblical model where you have two men that are going out with uh, Paul and Barnabas and then later on Paul and Silas and as you work through the book of Acts, there is a there is an ever-growing team, it seems, that develops around Paul and his vision. Uh, you have Timothy added to the team, and then Luke added to the team. And by the time you get later in, in the book of Acts, Paul is directing the the movements of a multitude of, of different men. Um, but I don't see that happening. I, I, I suppose, and I have limited exposure. You, you've been you've been in this a lot longer than I have exposed to uh, independent Baptist missions. But I don't see that developing frequently. I'd have to say, in among independent Baptists, and yet um, it seems like there would be some obvious advantages to to having a team. One of the things that that thrills my heart about what you've described with these four young men is that the team developed organically. It's not something that was orchestrated. It's not something that was manipulated in some kind of Baptist laboratory. That that could create some real problems if these guys got over there and didn't have the confidence that it was the Lord's doing. But what do you think are some of the advantages or disadvantages to a team approach um, like what's developed in Ecuador or maybe in other instances where you've witnessed this develop? As we as we look at the Bible, we understand that's how missions worked with Paul and those original missionary trips and endeavors. It was a team concept. I just think in 2020, what we've seen, at least in recent history, whether that be a lack of humility or a lack of ethics, it's difficult for missionaries to work together. And I think for this to work, most of the time, it would have to be missionaries out of the same church that are like-minded. Each one knows their strengths and their weaknesses. Even when we're in Mexico, I went to Mexico in 2000. Matt Johnson was there. Bill Norton, another missionary out of our church, came there several years later. We were all within an hour of each other. And so to some degree, there was a team concept. Although we were not working together in the exact same ministry, it helps when you can do joint camps and youth conferences and couples retreats. We would get together for holidays, meet together once a month. Pachuca, the city we were in, was kind of a hub, so they would come and shop there, and we'd go out to eat together. That kind of fellowship, camaraderie, and help in ministry is so important to keeping missionaries accountable and also keeping them encouraged. And uh, so with these four, here's what I'm excited about. These four young men went to Bible college together, and uh, now those two uh, are other boys that are working there in Ecuador from Mexico. Uh, we, we understand even Mateo and Chris, as they went down to help with that church plant, this is not something probably that would function for five or 10 or 15 years. It's not going to go on endlessly, but what right. they can do is help each other getting started. I cannot overemphasize when these missionaries go into a country and not, it goes way beyond adapting to the culture and learning the language, 
but planting that church, churches plant churches. And right. our first three churches that we planted, boy, we did the hard way. You go in, we didn't know anyone. And you're knocking thousands and thousands of doors before you have your first convert. And, you know, you are doing the teen class. You are doing every service and the music. And so, you know, a, a team approach just helps facilitate and speed up that process. So what I told Jonathan will be the first one to arrive there, help Diego. When Jonathan arrives, hopefully this fall, Mateo uh, will come back and finish raising his support. And, you know, whether Jonathan is there with Diego for a year or five years, that's not an issue for me. But getting the experience, helping get adapted and helping getting his church started. And I told Jonathan, you know the obligation. Now, as Mateo and Chris come in, uh, your obligation, they will help you in your church and you will help them in getting their church planted as well. So I think it's just a mutual understanding that fellowship is so vital and joint camps and conferences are so important and then helping get started teams of you know Christians coming in knocking on doors and uh, there's there's just something there that facilitates church planning and and too many people go in try to do it on their own many after 4 or 5 years get discouraged or they have something going they come home on furlough and it dissipates and uh, i just think you know through team missions. And I want to do that at Cap City. We have, you know, a dozen missionaries out of our church and, and you look at each one helping the other, whether that's preaching conferences for them, uh, Gene going down and helping them with radio stations. We're sending teams over to help them with projects. I want our church to understand we are a team with our missionaries and they all know whether that's getting their support raised or helping them plant a church uh, whatever their project is, we want to be there mutually for them. It just is going to create longevity that isolation can't. Well, that that is a great point that really and truly it's a team effort, however you look at it, because the local church has a vital role to to play in the ongoing work of that missionary on the foreign field. And there there are some things that the church, the local sending church, can do to support and buttress and encourage and equip that foreign missionary. And I want to come back to that uh, momentarily. That's related to uh, a two-part question that I want to I want to close with. But I want to digress for just a moment and uh, a, a address get your insight on something that I something that I had on my heart after having visited Capital City Baptist Church some years ago. I got to attend a missions conference at Capital City back in 2015. It's the only opportunity that I've had to be at the church. And it was the most intense conference I've, I've ever experienced. It is it is missions conference on steroids. I, I don't think that I'll ever forget hearing at that meeting. I know that you uh, would remember it well. Brother Bob Johnston, who's now in heaven, a veteran missionary to, to Haiti, preaching and then Brother Joel Logan getting up and helping Brother Bob to raise some support. It was just a great experience for me. One of the things that I was impressed with, however, in being in that meeting was the diversity of preachers and missionaries that are present. When I say diversity, they're all independent Baptists for sure. 
But there are a lot of different flavors of independent Baptists that were present there, represented both in the pastors, that, and there were many pastors that were present, which, which was a blessing, as well as, as well as the missionaries. I wanted to ask you, Pastor Thompson, how do you think, and you've been a part of this, a uh, part of independent Baptist missions for a long time, and again, both on the, on the receiving and the sending end, how do you feel like Baptist politics, Bible college politics, mission board politics, if we could use that word, has sometimes hindered our mission's efforts? Well, let me start by saying I remember that night as well, Brother Bob Johnson, I brought him in as a young man before I was called to missions. He came through our church. I heard his testimony, and God used him in my life to begin directing me towards missions. When he came back through, we invited him, flew him out of the country. His wife was having cancer treatments. He didn't want to come out, but we convinced him to come out, spend a few days with us. And we all know that he would die just a few years later in a tragic car accident. But that night, we had not supported Brother Johnson. You remember the impact of that service and that yes. message. And uh, we had several surrender to preach and called to missions that night. But we had not supported that ministry. We calculated from the time he had come here to, to that moment that night what his support should have been. And I believe that night we wrote him a check for $25,000 and made <laughs> right. up that back support. Well, we didn't know at the time that's what his wife was needing for her cancer treatments. Wow. God used all of that uh, in a great way, Capital City Baptist Church. But as far as bringing in different men, different backgrounds, here's, here's what I think. I don't want to get involved in the, the politics of... Uh, missions or ministry. I appreciate uh, different boards and what they've done to give missionaries out, help missionaries out. I've learned a long time ago, I want to stay independent. I thank God for my dad's influence who said, son, be independent, stay independent. Don't ever get intertwined with some group. And I've come to realize there are good men with each group and I don't want to judge someone based on solely where they graduated from or who they're associated with. I'm looking to invest in high character, uh, people that love God, live holy, have sound doctrine, and believe in reaching the lost and planning indigenous churches. So I, in, in each conference, I, th I think we've too restricted ourselves because, uh, you know, someone went to a certain college or is associated with a certain board and they'll only bring in people affiliated with that college or board or group. And I think we're missing out. There, there truly are great men in outside of our circles. And sure. I'm thankful over the years, uh, I have been associated just about with each one of those circles. And I have found friends, good lifelong friends in each one of those and some people that truly love God. And uh, you, it doesn't matter if that's Rick Martin, who's out of Howes Anderson, or Doug Sisson, who's out of OBC, or you, you literally, you've Matt Allen, who's out of Pensacola, you know, you, you find high caliber, high quality men out of whether that's BIMI, Word for the World, or Maranatha. I, I thank God for each one of these groups. But here's what I've decided to do I want to enlarge my circle. And as we bring men in, I want to know their stand on the King James Bible. I want to know 
what they've been involved in, what's their ministry experience. And uh, if they're sound in the doctrine, obviously all of those things. But I don't want to exclude someone just because I normally wouldn't promote their group or their college. And here's what that's allowed me to do. It's introduced me to men all across the country and all across the world who God has used in incredible ways. And uh, here's, I think too often in our pride, we become exclusive and think we're the only ones that know how to do it and the way to do it. And we'll come to realize there, there are groups that are supported. There's a, there's a group, you know, in Kenya and the Philippines that are supporting national pastors. I believe there are great dangers in doing that. And yet we support some of those groups. I recently sure. sent them in a group of men over to Kenya and preached. They preached literally day and night for 10 days to thousands and thousands of converts and dozens of churches. Uh, but each, each ministry is going to do it uniquely. And I think is Baptist. We need to humble ourselves and say, uh, there are others that are doing things differently. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, God uses unique people, unique personalities, and unique ways to reach the world. And if I see it happening, I want to get involved in that. I want to invest in that. Brother Thompson, I, I, maybe try to trying to bring the the conversation here full circle. We've brushed up against this uh, topic that I want to address uh, next, and finally, based on my own conversations with some uh, young missionaries and and two young men in particular that I have in mind, one of them going to West Africa, the other actually going to East Africa. It seemed as though my conversation with, with, with these two men intersected with some conversations that you'd had with the same two men. And, and, you know, obviously no, no awareness that we're trying to interact with some of the same subjects, but I've gathered that you have a real concern to help young families as they transition to the foreign field for the first time. There are some obvious challenges that arise in adjusting to a foreign field. You've experienced it yourself as a foreign missionary, and you've certainly observed it as a sending and a supporting pastor. So a two-part question in relation to this. And firstly, what, what do you think are some of the problem areas that sometimes hinder the effectiveness and longevity of independent Baptist missionaries, and especially families that are going for their first term. I'm concerned for our young men. You know, many, few are going, and many more after a short period of time, first term, maybe second term, are coming off the field. And uh, I want to invest in these young men, making sure that they make it long term. And I think training is one of those areas where we failed calling and training. I want to make sure our young men are called of God to go because without a calling, eventually they're going to be discouraged. They're going to have a reason to quit. And if they're not certain that they're called of God to stay at some point, they will come home. Uh, so I, I want to check that. But I think in our training, too often young men are, are going to the field. They've never started. I'm not going to send a man to the mission field that's never started a ministry. So, too often we're, we're sending men to plant a church and they've never started a bus route. They never started any kind of outreach. They've never started anything on a spiritual level that would qualify them or prepare them to plant a church. 
And uh, so I, I think here, as far as our church is concerned, I want to make sure our young men have proper training. Uh, but there, there are so many issues there as far as, you know, a wife. I, I think too often men don't realize that wife doesn't share the same calling. And uh, I, I've told our men before and I've preached before, if I had it all to do over again, when I was a kid, I would look for a young lady willing to go anywhere around the world to minister with me. And that's what I did. That Kim, my wife, she was qualified because she simply said, hey, anywhere you want to go, I'm willing to go. And she meant it. And she's bounced to three different countries, three different ministries and stayed positive and cheerful and faithful. But there are some women that simply are not going to handle that. And I tell our young men, if you're interested in mission, be careful. There's not a whole lot of women capable of surviving Africa or right. e even South America. And I know modern comforts are in the city are much more common. But I tell our young men, you've got to understand, you've got to prepare that wife and you've got to understand she's going to need a home. She's going to need a, a place where she can feel safe. You're going to have to properly involve her in ministry where she's not isolated, but not overwhelm her with ministry. But to me, I think that the biggest issues are a, a proper calling, proper training, and then helping that wife adjust. And as a church, I've told these members, as, as much money as it takes, as much effort as it takes, when these young men are going out, I want to do everything I can to help them in that adjustment period getting settled in and uh, that adjustment, because that's when, when people either become disgruntled with missions work, discouraged, or uh, they're just going to quit. And we don't need any, any more of our young men going and quitting within three to five years. Sure. Well, you're, you're obviously being proactive and our, and our church is doing some things to address these issues before the problems arise. And one of the things that I hear you saying there is that it's it's really the responsibility of the sending church to to do their due diligence to make sure that their missionary has the appropriate training and has the preparation. And that's the that really is the business of the of the sending church. And uh, it's clear we've already been over some of the things that capital city is doing to make sure that their guys have the, have the right exposure, have the right training. Um, you've described more personalized training, discipleship, mentorship that you've taken on with, uh, with some of these young men, for instance, that are preparing to go to Ecuador and then the protracted exposure that some of them have had to, uh, to the field by way of a, uh, an extended survey trip, if you would. Uh, what do you feel like, not not just the sending churches, but there are, there's a vast enterprise of supporting churches, and it takes there there it really is a it's the Great Commission is a team effort. It's 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 bigger than any one church. It's bigger than any one missionary. What do you think that that even supporting churches can do to help young missionaries make that the transition that is, is seem seems to be so fraught with complications and challenges, and and to help young missionaries make that transition and succeed in the long term? Are there any specific things that you feel like supporting churches can do to help young men uh, do this and, and experience longevity and not hit the snags that cause so many guys to come off the field and never return? 
I think really the local church is is primarily responsible, and I I do I feel for pastors. Most have never been on the mission field or never been able to take a missions trip, so their knowledge of the obstacles it's more theory than reality. And so if they're sending out a missionary, it's just, it's a lack of understanding what that young man or that young couple is going to have to face. But I really think is, is sending churches. We have to educate ourselves, ask questions, look for ways to help. I thank God for brother Ralph. He, he's been a mentor, but brother Ralph has such a heart for, for missions, although he wasn't on the mission field. And I thank God for the, the dozens of pastors that I know with that same heart but I think as God calls men out of our churches, we really have to educate ourselves and go out of our way to, to make sure we're, we're helping these young couples adjust. And then I think projects. I can't emphasize that enough. Projects, projects, projects. Most missionaries, I know there's a misnomer, misunderstanding. They think missionaries are oversupported. Most that I know are undersupported. So getting set up is a difficulty. Going through language school, there's a lot of financial hardships there. And, uh, you know, getting a church planted, they're trying to finance the the rent. And for, it takes years for that church to even start paying its own rent and, and covering its own bills. So while they're going through that, here's a wife that's doing without furniture, doing without some some basic necessities in her house. And I think as churches, if we can be aware and reach out and just say, hey, you know, is there a project we can help you with? Is there a need here? You know, whether that's buying a washing machine or sending them money for a, you know, to, to host a conference or or buy tracks or Bibles, whatever it is, I have really become firmly convinced that we set aside and raise money to help with projects. Because this is where a lot of times missionaries get discouraged. They simply can't finance what they need to finance. And uh, so whether that's local church or just a supporting church, I think if we stay aware, and we understand this, we're not talking about that missionary who has to mention every two months some kind of need. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about men who don't mention needs. I'm right. talking about men who will never say a word, just go and work and sacrifice. And that's the majority. Normally, here's what will happen. Someone will get their eyes on, on the wrong guy, someone with a poor spirit or someone that's constantly mentioning needs. Uh, I mean to tell you, there's a lot more good men out there than poor examples. And I never want our church to focus on any of those you know, men that have set a poor example or even come off. We've had over the course of the years several men that we went and and preached for and held events for. We've had them go off the cliff. And I told them, listen, they were a good investment. The 20 years they were there, they planted churches, they reached the lost. Regrettably, Satan got a foot in the door. But I'm not going to allow any of that to discourage us from investing right. in in missionaries. And we've got to look at these young men and say there's a lot you know, they don't have a history of success, but if we don't invest in them, they, they can't, they can't establish a history of success. So let's, let's do what we can. And I, I think projects, personal needs, that's just one of those ways to be a help and a blessing and an encouragement to them. 
I think that's an interesting point that even as you acknowledged earlier in the con- in the conversation that there are certain fields that have seasonal opportunities and you've got to strike while the iron's hot and you've got to walk through those doors while they're open. Um, missionaries have seasonal needs. And when they raise their support, a lot of times they're not raising support for those seasonal needs. Sometimes they don't even perceive the seasonal needs initially. And it may be a it may be a solar system so that the wife has got regular, consistent electricity in some remote region, or it may be language school, which is not going to be a long term expenditure, but something that they're going to incur in the first couple of years, or it may be just setting up housekeeping on a foreign field. And I think what you're describing there is just for pastors to remain sensitive to the needs of their supported missionaries. And I guess that's going to require a little bit more attention on pastors' parts. They're going to have to actually read prayer letters. They're going to have to pray for their supported missionaries. They're going to have to ask some questions when the guys come through and and ask tough questions. And as you say, uh, educate themselves about uh, about some of those some of those needs and look for opportunities to invest in the projects that'll help these help these good men get over the over the humps and over the challenges that are related sometimes to that to that first oftentimes to that first term on the foreign mission field. Uh, Brother Thompson, I really appreciate your sensitivity to these things and what you and Capital City are doing to not only meet the Great Commission in terms of sending and some of the quality guys that are out of Capital City, but also, as I've mentioned, what you guys are, are trying to do to invest in, in other missionaries from other churches going, to, going all over the world. And it uh, seems like you guys are, you, you in particular, are exercising a sensitivity toward the needs of a given field and um, trying to communicate with that so that we can be effective as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, get the gospel to the regions beyond and establish good, solid Bible-believing churches that are going to reproduce in the days ahead. Uh, Brother Thompson, I really appreciate you sitting down for the conversation. I think the ground that we've covered has been has been helpful. And I thank you for thinking through these things and helping me think through them and uh, and interacting with some of these questions. I hope that it will be a help to our listeners as they think critically about how to be effective in this work of missions. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor Thompson, so much for the conversation today. Thank you for the opportunity, and thank you for your investment in missions. I'm excited about what God is doing uh, through your church, through your ministry, and looking forward. I know the days ahead are going to be a little bit more challenging, whether that's missions trips or travel for our missionaries, but there's still a great harvest out there. So thank you. Thank you for your investment. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Pastor Thompson. Whatever role you may play in the work of missions, be it serving on a foreign field, pastoring a sending or supporting church, or giving or going as a church member, Pastor Thompson gave us a wealth of helpful and relevant information in the course of this interview. There's so much to be done, but God has equipped us as the church to get it done together. I certainly appreciate men like Pastor Adam Thompson that are personally engaged in worldwide missions and leading others to get involved as well. And not just involved, but involved thoughtfully and zealously. Thanks again for tuning in. One of the parting words of counsel that Pastor Thompson gave us in the interview today is to educate ourselves about the needs of missionaries. 
particularly as church leaders. He addressed that primarily to sending churches, but I think that's good advice for any of us who are serious about the Great Commission, and that's what we're trying to accomplish with Great Commission Conversations, to educate believers about missions. So I hope you'll join us for the next interview or avail yourself to past interviews. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts, and if it's been a blessing to you, feel free to invite others to tune in. I welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Thank you.